Where are you in your leadership journey? Designed to inspire and empower other ambitious individuals, the Mindful Rebel podcast series is designed to bring attention to grassroots leaders in our community and focus on where they are currently in their leadership journey. The podcast will share the advice of doers and thinkers demonstrating success in life and in their respective areas of impact. Welcome to the Mind for Rebel podcast, the podcast about journeys in leadership. In this episode, in person, I had the pleasure to chat with Craig Washington, community organizer, writer, and HIV activist about his views on leadership. Check out our conversation. So I guess the, the hop right in, um, why has it been so important for you to share share your story? Um, and I guess, how does that kind of contribute to your leadership journey so far? Oh, um, well, I've always valued uh, my personal journey, whether that's my journey, so I'm assuming that's what you mean when you say sharing my story, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, whether it's my journey with um, HIV in particular, um, living with HIV, or just growing up as a queer black boy from Queens, or um, you know the importance of relationships in my personal life as well as my professional work and the lessons that I've um, gleaned from that. Uh, and also, I think it's important in, in terms of being not only accurate but really authentic um, that when you talk about leadership or, or in particular my experience with leadership, that it's important to cite, to acknowledge that there are a number of folks who raised and supported me and influenced and shaped and molded me. And some of those folks, I, you know, were in direct contact, like my loving mother and father, my older brother, um, close friends, uh, as well as others who I may not have actually met, but who inspired me, like, say, a a James Ball, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And so, and I also think that, and by doing that, I am intentional about modeling the valuing of one story, mm-hmm. that everyone has a story, uh, and that for one to come into a leadership role, particularly one that's visible, it's important to, to have some um, perspective. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, what what got you there? We're in a, in a culture that's very, um, we do a lot around people that are recognized, again, in this visible way around leaders um, as it's very individualistic to the point of not really being, again, healthy. Or it doesn't capture, I think, the, 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 the true nature of one's ability and, and the story, so to speak, behind one's ability to take on leadership roles. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I um, uh, work against that or I reject that notion that people you know, arrive you know, fully developed, um, and that they are, you know, so that, that, that one, so one that is engaged in leadership roles and has an impact to the extent that they are effective, um, and they do inspire others, um, that's also a reflection of the community from which they, of which they belong, right? right. Um, because that community or that group of folks, wherever it is that they're uh, in leadership with, I would say, um, have to be receptive 
you know, so the ways in which that those communities are also, it's not just about one having an exceptional challenge, cha uh, talent and skill, it's also about a community that's ready to choose one or you, you know, so. So in, in looking at that, I know you, you talked about authenticity and I guess this level of transparency. I guess mm -hmm. what is that for you, what does that play in terms of leadership growth or leadership development in general? I'll say disclosure in general, right? As in disclosing, uh, as, as is relevant and as is appropriate um, aspects of my life and my journey. And some of that's about, again, being transparent about how I may have arrived at a point, even you know what my, my limitations are. I do have some sensitivity because I've struggled with, continue to struggle with on some level, ego, right? And particularly as a, as a, as a male, albeit you know, a queer one, a gay one, still a male in the ways in which we are uh, socialized and the ways in which we invest so much in this very frail kind of ego construct. Uh, and so we're tempted, again in terms of leadership, we're tempted to gratify that ego and do things, um, uh, exercise our talents not only in the service of community or uplift or the greater good, it's also about, you know, personal gain and, um, you know, just, you know, vanity and, and indulging and being seen and recognized and that's, that's been at times gratifying for me. That's also been tempting for me. Um, at the same time, I'm, I'm, you know, I've been around for a minute, you know, I'm 56, so I've had a lot of internal, um, <laughs> discussions about what what triggers are being flicked and what is healthy and what am I what do I need to suppress, check, turn over and unpack. Um, because I think it's important, first of all, for me to in in my being authentic is to recognize those um, those motives in myself and also to share with others that I struggle with the same stuff. You know. Um, and that um, preparing those, particularly those that have less experience uh, than I, that you know that is going to be a temptation. And then there's a, there's a standard, you know, and that um, part of the responsibility is not about um, being perfect, but certainly attempting to do one's best. Again, around and some of that is around having clarity of one's values mm -hmm. and having solid values in this work. Um, and I say this very especially and particularly for work with black LGBTQ community. Mm -hmm. um, I'm really, you know, I, I carry with me just that I, I have a, an appreciation and awareness for the ways in which we denigrate ourselves and each other. And the ways in which because of our internalized, just internalizing the whole, the, confluence of racism, sexism, femphobia, transphobia, all that shit, right? And yeah. that um, we come out at, you know, I, I see it in, in, in young people, you know, in their early 20s and they already have some fully fashioned uh, notion or concept that black people ain't shit, you can fill in the blank, black people ain't shit, black gay men definitely ain't shit. And you know, we are not, I'm not going to trust you. And if I walk into an evolution or thrive, you know, or um, 
uh, uh, Rustin Lord Breakfast, if it's black gay developed, if it's black gay produced, then it's probably going to be messy. Or I'm, I'm predisposed to click it, right? right? Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm aware of those negative, that, that negativity. Um, and so, again, that's why, it, for me, it's, that's part of my own commitment to, if I'm participating or I have some influence or some commitment, again, to um, any kind of work, that it is a quality. Um, and part of that's because I like doing good stuff, good work. <laughs> as a value, but also I know that it's important for our people to, to, to see it. You know, there are times when I've been involved in events or anything from uh, organizing or co-organizing the StoryCorps uh, interviews where we're having black gay men uh, share their stories and have those stories documented and, and also um, share and play back that I tell folks, or I remind folks, tell someone what you did today. People need to hear that. People need to know that you know, there is, particularly in Atlanta, um, a real community. Um, and that there are black gay, black queer folks that are about the business of um, building that community. You know? So that's 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 uh, for me again my uh, upholding a, a a sense of authenticity for myself. Yeah. First and foremost for myself because I'm the hardest judge, but also um, for people that are watching me. You know. And so with that, you touched on a point that I wanted to talk. About. You know, with the work that you do at Aid Atlanta, I know I've had an <coughs> opportunity to come to different events, even events hosted by Evolution and. Mm -hmm. I see there's a level of empowerment that is there, not only just with the staff members, but with those who come to seek those services or just to be a, be a part of that community. Um, for you, why is it so important to, I guess, foster that sense of empowerment? Because I, oh. I, can, I see that, you know, in my observation of, of, of attending events maybe over the past year or so, I can, I just, for the times that I've come an event maybe every two two months or so, I can see the growth or the little bit of change in some of those folks who have had the opportunity to be a part of it. But um, I guess why is that so important and what are some things that you do to kind of foster that, that I guess, community of, of empowerment? Sure, sure. Well, um, it's funny when you mention empowerment. So there's the literal intervention itself, empowerment, right? Mm -hmm. So in terms, of, in, in terms of the work with evolution. Um, that is based on a very participatory approach to HIV prevention. So I'll just leave that as a as an as an aspect. You know, so technically, evolution is one way of defining evolution is as a you know program funded by CDC with um, the objectives of reducing um, behaviors that place young gay men at risk. Um, it also, and also that particular intervention um, operates with the notion that by the bonding and the relationships that uh, are formed by these young men that take on responsibility um, as active uh, facilitators, planners, and implementers of the program and the activities, um, that they are more likely to uh, Build, develop trust and also have more influence on each other in adopting or maintaining and sustaining healthy norms. And then we also know that uh, anyone that's worth their salt and, and, 
HIV prevention or any kind of, and any such public health engagement when it comes to black gay men, that it's about so much more than HIV or AIDS or the, you know, the, the specific technical goal. Uh, and so the, the team that I work with and myself are clear about that. And we know what the needs are. Mm -hmm. And so we know that it's important also to just provide uh, an affirming space uh, for these young men. Um, and occasionally we've gotten uh, far, far fewer but trans women as well. Given what they walk through, what it takes for them to, you know, just what, what they've endured, withstood, as well as the ways in which they've been affirmed in their families, right? Um, and so we also feel that it's important, I feel it's important to give them leadership opportunities to at once, I think there's three dimensions of our work that are um, equally important. One is to support them and, and provide whatever services linking them directly, or either providing that directly or linking them to services that they need to just have you know, quality of life, whatever unmet needs there are. You know, we have people that um, come in, whether or not they share it, they may be struggling with not knowing where they're gonna sleep, what they're gonna eat, may or may not tell you that they have any, may or may not tell you whatever um, relationship dynamics and tensions that they're dealing with. So um, providing services and, and, and resources for that. The other is, of course, um, uh, having them have, have an accountability around their own lives and take responsibility for this community that they're helping to build, that they're building, that we can do. I'm 56, I can't do that. I'm not, you know, you're in your world. Um, I can support um, my staff, some of which are in the, in the age and some are, are not, but um, it's really about what members are willing and poised to do and we support them in that. And I think the third is the, is the sort of the, in the intangible and that is, you know, that is the, the, the shift, that is the, changing um, the community for the better. That is being engaged, and I think we need to heighten our involvement on that level. Mm -hmm. So an example of that, or a tangible example of that, may be um, very specific advocacy efforts, where you're actually not only um, um, uh, help make sure that people's needs get met, um, uh, engaging them in activity that increases their sense of, uh, uh, of efficacy and, and having a place, but also changing the conditions that make them more vulnerable in the first place to HIV and a host of other things that they struggle with. And so those are equally important. Um, and so for me, uh, my role is, I, I see my role as, as supporting staff, um, listening, supporting, training, guiding, but also I know that, that, that for all the, 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 the three folks that I work with closely, um, and that's uh, Larry Walker, Daniel Edwards, Gail Moore, um, and formerly Dwayne Bridges, I have, I work with the best team ever. <laughs> I, I, they're incredible, they are, and so, just so gifted and passionate and commit, committed. Um, and so it's important for me to have a certain kind of relationship with them. I'm very blessed to have them and work with them. So they're the kind of individuals 
that I can invest trust. We have a very strong personal and professional relationship. And so that, I think that fosters a, a certain kind of um, uh, bond and unity and level of trust. So there's that. Um, there's also my relationship to the members themselves. You know, coming in, I didn't know how, <laughs> wow, how close or how I would navigate the intimacy. By the time I reached evolution, I already had enough self-awareness and enough you know, professional skill, wisdom that I was already not trying to or feeling, feeling it necessary to adhere to traditional norms about boundaries, right? Yeah. Um, and in a certain way, my, in a certain sense, my community doesn't have the luxury. It just doesn't. Yeah. You know, you don't, we don't have this plethora of professionals as well as um, you know, cultural workers and elders and other spirits that are not all wearing four hats. Right. You know, and I, I don't need you for this because I'll go to, you know, my auntie this or my... No, sometimes that is functioning as auntie. So, there, and there's a way in which I think we need to be responsible. I think that not to say that boundaries don't have their place or, or that we just completely... Uh, 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 dismiss boundaries, but I think it's relative. Mm -hmm. And so I operate from that standpoint. Um, it allows me to get the ear and the trust and earn the trust um, because I've allowed a certain kind of personal connection to take place and been available in a certain way mm -hmm. that maybe other managers, particularly my age, wouldn't. I'm doing that because that's how I am generally and how I live and how I you know I love my people and I particularly love my young people and I and so there's a way in which that that flows naturally but I'm also intentional I'm also professional about it mm -hmm. right because I also know that on another level particularly even the, the ones that make it on my nerve I'll love you from afar I'll make sure you don't get out of here without some support but those I love as well, right? And I'm committed to them. But more to the point, I, I recognize that um, but it's in that relationship that I'm better poised to have an impact. Even if I don't necessarily interact directly with them, it may be because I have a certain connection and proximity, I can also turn around and get in Daniel's ear and say, hey, I'm noticing this about this brother, um, but allows that. The other piece, the personal is the personal payoff, is that it enriches my life, and there's a way in which, you know, I do some again some boundaries and some distances, I, distancing, in that I don't bring all work, you know, the whole thing about bringing work home. Yeah. It doesn't turn off. My concern doesn't turn off. Um, but I, at the same time, I make sure that I have a life outside of that, outside of my engagement with, you know, that particular community. Um, but at the same time, I recognize that uh, it allows me to have another role in community as um, I shift into this clearly, squarely into this older generation. And that gives my life richness. I know that, uh, that I'm valued. And I know that if I leave at Ada Landis today or no longer have that professional connection, 
I'll still have, at least with some of them, that personal connection. And that, that enriches me. And that, you know, that makes me feel vital. You know, and vital. So. And with that, in, in, in the same vein of looking at what kind of enriches you in the work that you do, how has your writing, I guess, kind of done that as well, or helped further your reach as a community activist? Mm -hmm. Well, I've always written, as long as I've been consciously sort of <laughs> either listening to what was going on in the world, um, and as a way of, of responding, exercising voice since I was eight. Um, writing about serious stuff, <laughs> serious life issues or things that were serious to me. Um, and not just as a, you know, a kind of a, an exercise and self-indulgence, I'll say that. Um, so now what it means is um, to exercise that voice, to um, add some, or share, if you will, lens or my lens um, and um, what is really important to me um, and what I don't necessarily see reflected or reflected enough. Mm. And so by doing that and giving voice to some concerns and also I'm sometimes challenging, I'm questioning, I'm sharing as a way of offering something that can inspire or can illuminate. An example would be, I, I wrote a piece about um, the SGL family cruise. It's a cruise that I've been going on for, well, I've gone on for three years now, it's the third year. And I get so much out of that personally. So this is my own uh, experience, some of which I could share, some of which, no, that, that, that goes in the journal, that's not. <laughs> um, but I think it's, uh, that was an, uh, a, a very powerful example of experiencing community in this cruise how we were with each other. And that's something that it was important. So I wrote about it definitely in my journal, but I also wrote about it as a way of offering community an example of us at our best. When I write about, and, and, and the possibilities. Also going back to, again, the, just the, 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 the scarcity of um, affirming images and stories about black community and particularly as it relates to black gay men there's such a HIV and and the response to to the AIDS epidemic alone has so dominated the, the stories and the ways it's taken up so much space about what is said and thought and felt about black gay men Absolutely. and I'll always have some kind of stake in in HIV work whether you, you I'm, I'm paid for it or not but there's so much more to us and, and our story. Not to mention in that, some, that those, those narratives can be very problematic, mm -hmm. right? And so I'm intentional about that as well, about writing and capturing issues and experiences that are not necessarily centered around each other. Mm -hmm. As well as, I, I think my writing allows me to connect with folks that I may never encounter, but it's something that they can they they can they can take with them. They can respond to it, whether they like it or not. That it 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 prompts thought. It may even prompt action. I'm also thinking about the the the, the, the folks that are um, ahead of me who, who come after me, who see that as um, who see me as a black gay black gay man writing. 
And so there's a, a, a model for doing that. As I had before me, I not only had, say, uh, uh, a Baldwin and Audre Lorde before me who I was just, you know, the sun rose and set. I mean, I was lucky enough to meet them and when they walked the earth, that they were just incredible, ordinary people that just did extraordinary things. Well, so I had these folks that influenced me that made it, that, that, that opened doors, you know, that obviously signaled possibilities for me. And then I also had peers. Um, I, when I was in my, you know, 20s and early 30s, I didn't necessarily have an evolution, but I'm part of a generation that included black gay men that were responding and working and writing about um, our experiences and our identity in a way that was unprecedented. So I'm talking about the, you know, the Joseph Bean, the, the, the era that's very uh, profoundly marked by the, well, you know, the, the triumvirate, so to speak, of Marlon Riggs, uh, Joseph Beam, and Essex Temple, and there are others, Asato Saint, and, and, and several others whose um, work speaks for them. But they were peers, or, or maybe just slightly older than me. And so I think about, I carry them, particularly the writers, because again, they more, in, in a way that was more accessible to me than say a Baldwin or a Lord, I think that what they spoke to me was that their work spoke in terms of its own brilliance and magic, but it also said, now what you gonna do? And I don't mean like as a competition, but like. Almost like a call to action. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And you know, I'm living in New York and I'm, I'm terrified um, in terms of my own, not only my own disease or HIV condition, but what will be thought of me, you know? So these folks, you know, paved the way. There's some folks who were just, that they were my age, but were willing to step out in a way that I wasn't ready. So I had to come into my own, but I owe an amazing, you know, immeasurable debt to them because of that. So, you know, I hope that I can be of service. So that kind of goes into the next question. So as a leader and an activist in the community, what type of charge would you give to, I guess, this emerging group of black gay leaders, particularly black gay men who are stepping up in these leadership roles or even as community activists? What type of charge would you, would you I guess, give to them in, I guess, picking up, picking up where folks like you have kind of left off and, and moving, moving it forward? Mm -hmm. It, it's so important to, to, to stay hungry, to stay thirsty. I hate the way thirsty has been. <laughs> oh, I do. And I, you know, I just saw a it's post. On another, and another I, yeah. And I, 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 you know, sometimes I have to leave myself breadcrumbs, Sean, to come back to the path. But um, there was a post, uh, um, and they actually, this, uh, the, the person, actually, the commenter, stated that. And I, it didn't hit me. It's like, yeah, I'm feeling that, that um, there's a way in which the thirsty as a criticism or as a, yeah, it's like an epithet has been misused and also um, represents this discomfort with need or interest or expressing interest in a way that it's vulnerable, right? So you're thirsty, so I don't know if you're thirsty. So all that being said, <laughs> um, I think it's important for young leaders to um, appreciate their own thirst for knowledge for and for acceptance and for affirmation which I think is healthy I don't think that is okay so I don't think that is thirsty or I don't think that is 
seeking one's ego to be stroked. I think the, the flip of that is one should, and one, if, if one takes on, you know, the activity of responsibility of showing up and somehow being involved in the community uplift, one should expect or want to be affirmed in that, you know? Um, and so I also would offer and, and warn to not allow oneself to be eaten up and, and consumed in the tokenist culture that just, um, I think, can, can, can distract particularly younger people, you know, who struggle with maybe um, being deemed as, you know, sort of the, the it boys, right? And so because that can, again, influence one's motives and what one, what one gets out of um, uh, leadership itself. I think it's, 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 I would urge young people, or people that are not necessarily chronologically younger than myself, but maybe new to work, or new, new to movement work, or relatively inexperienced, um, to be respectful of the people that came before them. Hmm. And to not blame their own shortcomings or inadequacies or necessarily what is what ails their community on you know the former generation i I chafe it sometimes i yeah I, I, there's a, there's an indulgence that I'm not having I think there's a there's an accurate and fair critique of what say earlier generations didn't do or did that was you know may have been problematic may have been misguided i think there are times when um and that's it's 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 it's, it's something that all generations tend to do with the preceding generations whether that's you know i've heard people as an example criticize or have something flippant or dismissive to say about Angela Davis at, at, at one point for not being out in this very contemporary, very sometimes unquestioned way of being out, what out means, right? And I'm like, really, Angela Davis? Really? You, you stand, you position, your, you position yourself to criticize her. Almost as if well, that this, negates everything that she had done. Exactly, right. exactly. In a way that doesn't respect her generation. And in a way that, that that doesn't respect. First of all, you haven't asked the question. You're probably not in the position necessarily to ask that question. But but be inquisitive. Think about what brought her to this place and where where she stands or where she sees herself and the importance of identity and how she expresses that, as opposed to. You know, because she she may not present in a way that's a sort of very involved way of being out, which means that there's not, you know, there, there, there's a lack of contextualizing um, leaders and each other. You know? So with that, we're going to transition into. Um, I have a few like rapid fire questions. They're just like personality questions oh. um, to ask as we kind of wrap up with the the interview. Um, you prefer uh, reading books or watching movies? Oh wow! I it's not. I don't have a preference. No preference. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. No. Okay. I, I love them both. Um, so with that, if there was a book you could turn into a movie, what would it be? Oh, that's. Oh. Okay. I get caught up in this. Uh, Tony Morrison Vortex. Um, there's a handful of, of authors. I would go with. 
Oh Lord, do I have to pick one? No, you can. can I pick, I'll, I'll pick a joint. Okay, that's fine. That's fine. A joint, joint two. Um, oh, the bluest eye, which I love. I mean, I can think about my love for that book, and it brings tears to my eyes. So, Tony Morrison's Bluest Eye. I'm surprised that hasn't. That I'm surprised that hasn't been turned into. Oh, God. I can see when I read it. I could see yeah. it. I mean, I could. I could hear their voices. It's such a yeah. My There's mom a, had the book yeah. when I was younger, and and it was, I was a real avid bookworm as a kid, and I, that was one of our books I, I kind of snuck in and I, I read. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's just an amazing, and the way it's told is just amazing. So, that if there's any way that they can get as close to that book, the telling of it, that and there's several Baldwin's, but I would say because I'm thinking of it in terms of my own experience with it and what I think. What the world needs now, <laughs> what the world needs now is love and a movie version of Just Above My Head. At the time the book came out, I'm just at the edge of maybe 19, 20. And so I never read a love story between two black boys or teenagers. So it was incredibly valuable to me. So, Is there, well, what period of history most fascinates you? I would say the 70s, 80s, okay. mid-70s through 80s. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. What are three music artists that you would love to see in one concert, dead or alive? <sighs> oh. Um, three. Three artists. Not on stage at the same time. No, under, under, under one roof. Under like, one you know, a, a consecutive show back to back. Uh, as in performing artists? Mm -hmm. Oh, that's hard, because I, I had my favorite, so, and I've already seen my favorite, so I guess I'm, I'm going to do the, the people that I haven't seen. Okay. Because Aretha Franklin is my all-time favorite, you know, just history and what have you. Um, so I would say Billy, oh gosh, today I would say, ha, yeah, um, Fantasia. Okay. Because I love her and I love, I, have, I don't get enough of her and I love her in, in that presence. And I would love to think what Billy would think about Fantasia. <laughs> Put them together just for the interaction. <laughs> um, exactly, yeah. And then, ooh, that's such a struggle. The third, I would say, Prince. I would say Prince. Oh, so that's two departed and one. Yeah. yeah. I guess that would be a, a dream for me. Because okay. um, of what they all represent. Okay. That's such a funny mix. Yeah, that's a, uh, yeah. I don't know how they would share the stage, <laughs> but I'll let them work that out. And then the last question. Um, as overall, at the end of the day, what would you like to be known for? I would like to be known as someone that... Um, Model for someone, inspired someone to, you know, to use their own tools, to use their own gifts, um, as someone that made somewhat of a difference, and as someone that, um, whose story spoke to possibilities, who. Um, particularly for my people, and I'm 
very specifically black LGBTQ people. Um, if I've left, um, and I think there's a, there's a, a rough quote from James Baldwin when he talks about, I think it's his brother, uh, after his death, his brother mentioned, um, and it might have been some sharing on Baldwin's deathbed or close to his departure where he talked about leaving something useful. And I love that. That always stays with me. Um, someone that, something that someone else can pick up. <laughs> um, then, yeah. And particularly around the importance of us um, loving ourselves and embracing each other as black LGBT. So not in that, not necessarily in that big, you know, we gonna win, um, we, gonna, we gonna defeat all, you know, racial and gender discrimination. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but us really fully embracing each other and us Emancipating ourselves from the, 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 the shackles of, you know, of, of self-hatred of, and of whatever sense of powerlessness we have, you know, that we recognize our own power. If I could make a dent in that wall, if I can open up that light, yeah, then I'm good. Well, I ain't going to haunt nobody. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, Craig. I appreciate you taking the time out this uh, afternoon to to share information about your leadership journey. I think it was, a, it was the discussion was great, so I, I definitely appreciate it. Thank you, uh, thank you. I, um... More information about Craig and his work will be posted along with the podcast episode. Thanks for listening to the Mind for Rebel podcast. If you like the podcast, and I know you do, please like, comment, and share this episode and any other episodes you have the opportunity to listen to. Stay tuned for our next exciting episode. Stay connected on your leadership journey with the Mindful Rebel podcast by visiting themindfulrebel.co, following the show on Instagram at Mindful Rebel Podcast, and subscribing to the Mindful Rebel on the iTunes podcast app. Remember, the podcast is for you, so if you have questions about leadership that you want to hear discussed or you're interested in contributing to the show, feel free to share at themindfulrebel.co.